Um, Father God, I ask that you would be with us, that you would um, help us to see what is there in your word, that you would um, help us to put aside our distraction, the sin which so easily entangles us, and help us to fix our eyes on Jesus for the next 30 minutes or so, and to see him as glorious and amazing and beautiful. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, guys, so what we're talking about tonight is the topic of the glory of God, and specifically, how we can glorify God with our actions. We're talking about how to live a life, not for ourselves, but for the glory of God. Here's why I think that you should listen. It's because, like me, many of you feel at times like, what is the purpose of my life? I know that I'm going to school, I know that I'm making friends, I know that I'm doing all these things, but what is like the one thing in my life that is worth living for? And you're kind of making that decision now. Is it going to be some relationship? Is it going to be money? Or is there something greater that you could live for? I don't know about you, but at your age, when I was sitting in your seat, what I was thinking was, what in the world is the point of all of this? Do you guys think this? In the back of your mind, you're like, okay, so I get a job, I get married, I have a few kids, then what? Then what? It, it looks to me like the people who have walked the road ahead of me, like they're not that satisfied with that life. And at some point, they run into trouble in their marriage, they run into trouble with their kids, they run into trouble with their job, and it seems to me like those things in and of themselves are not worth living for. And then, at about your age as well, I came to discover this unifying purpose for my life. You've heard this term before if you've been in church for any length of time, the glory of God. Now, the glory of God, it seems huge and churchy, but I just want to bring it down to earth for you guys. The glory of God is simply God's amazing beauty and perfection made public to people. So let me give you an illustration to show you what glory is for something other than God so that you can relate it to the being of God. Okay? So I went to Santorini, Greece. Has anyone been to Santorini, Greece before? Okay, good. It's the most beautiful place in the world. All right, it is there was essentially this huge island that had a volcano in it, and a couple thousand years ago, this volcano exploded. And so this island is now this amazing cliff-like thing with water in the middle of it, and it's basically like having the ocean in the middle of the Grand Canyon. And I had the opportunity to go to Santorini, Greece, and I got to sit up in this restaurant overlooking this cliff into the Mediterranean, into this beautiful, pure, glass-like water that you could see 50 feet down into. Right now, guys, what I am doing is I am glorifying Santorini, Greece. Am I adding to its glory? No. Am I adding to its beauty, its majesty? No. Santorini, Greece is a beautiful place whether I tell you it's beautiful or not. It stands alone in its perfection. And in a similar way, God is perfect. He's beautiful. He's amazing, whether you recognize that or not. But what God is calling you to 
is to unify the purpose of your life around giving glory and honor to him because when you see his majesty, you'll want to tell absolutely everyone about it in every area of your life. And so essentially, there's this verse that makes this really easy for us to talk about where the Apostle Paul unifies our entire life's purpose with one sentence. I'm going to put it up on the screen. It says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So he's saying, this is how amazing God is. If you see him in his beauty and his perfection and his majesty, you'll want to tell everyone about what you saw with every single aspect of your entire life. And that's actually what it means to live your life on mission for Jesus. It means that you don't have to separate out some parts of your life that are Jesus things and put other things in other categories, and those are sort of lame things or dutiful things or things that you have to do, but it's actually possible that you would have one all-consuming passion and purpose for every single thing that you do in your life. So what I want to do is I want to quickly just sort of shotgun through 15 different ways that you can glorify God in your life. Okay, first one, commit to Salt City Church. Okay, here's where I'm getting that from. I want to get all these things from the Bible. John chapter 13, verse 35. It says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You see the glory language in that? You want to prove it to the world that God exists, that he's awesome, that he's amazing. Here's how you do that. You love one another. Here's the place where God has designed for you to do that in the context of the church. Did you know that the church in scripture is called the bride of Christ? Here's what God's calling you to do. He's calling you to commit to the local church because he wants you to have commitments to the people around you in such a way that you can't get away from them when you run into their imperfections because you're committed to them and so you're called to love them. I was hanging out with this guy from Salt City Church this week. His name's Adam. He wouldn't mind you telling me telling you this. This is what he told me. He goes, all of my best friends today, when I first met them, I hated them. <laughs> he said, I could not stand them. And he told me about three examples of guys that were in his wedding. But here's the thing. All of those guys went to his church. And here's what he decided a long time ago. The church is the bride of Christ. I'm committed to the local church. And so what he found was, in hanging out with these guys, I don't actually have the option, because we're brothers in Christ, of running away from this hard relationship. I've got to stick it out. You see, commitment comes before the expression of your love. Which means those of you who are bouncing around from ministry to ministry and church, church to church, what you're doing is you're not committing and my guess is, it's because you don't really want to do the hard work of loving other people. Because here's what you find out. Your pastor's screwed up. Your friends are screwed up. Everybody's messed up. And maybe the scariest thing, you find out you're screwed up. 
But in hanging out with each other, in relationship with one another, if we commit ourselves to one another, then what happens is we love one another, and the world looks and says, how'd they do that? It's amazing. And you say, it's because God's amazing. It's because he told us to do that, and he's amazing. He's awesome. i got to go a lot faster than this. All right, commit yourself to Salt City Church. Number two, honor your parents. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Some of you, you just got jacked up your relationships with your parents because you're a spoiled brat. You know that? And so you've been thinking your whole life that you're the center of the universe and your parents didn't think that that was true also. And so you're, you know, thinking, oh, my parents so messed up, whatever. And in so doing, what you don't realize is that you're basically telling everybody in your life that you don't believe that God is amazing and awesome. Because if you really believed he was amazing and awesome, you would obey all of his commands. And last time I checked, that's one of the big 10. And so maybe the application for you is, you actually need to call your parents and say, I'm an idiot. You know, at some point, usually it's around 22, 23, I think it was probably 24, 25 for me that I realized that I thought my parents were morons, but I was actually the moron. And it was when I met my wife, and my wife grew up in a non-Christian family, and she never had anything bad to say about her family, that I realized that she was just being obedient to this commandment, and I was refusing to because I was stubborn. One way that you can glorify God is by calling your parents and beginning to submit to their authority and to honor them. Number three, work hard. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters. I don't know about you guys, my struggle growing up was not that I was an overachiever. I was straight up lazy. And here's how the language of my heart worked at that time. I thought, what is the point in doing any of this? And this scripture totally resolves it. It says, here's the reason you do it. You do it for the Lord. In other words, God is watching every single thing that you do in your life, and he looks at it either with approval or with disapproval. Which means everything in your life, not just Bible reading and raising your hands when you worship or going to church, not just those spiritual things, but even how you do your homework, how you treat your roommate, and even how you do yard work matters to God. Guys, here's how this expressed itself in my life this week. I put down 165 bags of mulch to the glory of God in my yard. It was awesome. I actually really enjoyed it. God has taken me from a lazy sack to taking sacks of mulch all over my yard and laying them and actually enjoying doing it. And here's what happened after I did it. I walked in the house, I got mulch all over the place, and I felt like God was like, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do as a husband. And then my wife said to me, you got that all done? I was like, yeah, I did. And she's like, I love you. And I just felt like the pleasure of God and like my wife loves me and it was so amazing. You can do anything to the glory of God. Work hard. Number four, be normal. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says this, 
Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Here's what some of you think about the Christian life. You think that you're supposed to be weird. You think you're supposed to talk about all your spiritual experiences and you're supposed to connect to God in this way that when you talk to other people, it sort of makes them uncomfortable. And you think that there's supposed to be this sort of bubble around you and a halo on your head and you're kind of trying to achieve this superstar spiritual status. And yet what the Bible commends over and over again is being normal. Live a quiet, godly life. Be a good student. Be a good friend. Show up at class. Don't be socially awkward. Look at people when you talk to them. Love other people. Look to serve other people. Don't try to set yourself above other people but seek to serve and love other people in everything that you do. Be normal. Number five, invite people to follow Jesus with you. Acts chapter 2, 46 through 47. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there tends to be this false dichotomy, guys, between being a good evangelist and just inviting people to church with you. And so people say, man, you really want to win people to Jesus? You got to sit down, you got to draw some diagram on a napkin for them, and you got to walk them from point A to point B. And if you don't do that, then it doesn't really count. And what I see here in the Bible is one of the main ways that you can win other people to Jesus, that you can be on mission with your life, is simply by inviting them to do what you do. One of the best things that you can do is just love Salt Company, in this case, Love Salt City Church. Come every week. And when your friends ask you how your Thursday night was or how your weekend was, you can say, I love my church. You should come with me. That is a very legitimate way that you can bring honor and glory to God. Just because they don't hear the gospel from your mouth doesn't mean it's not legitimate. I would encourage you guys, everything you go to, invite people to come along with you. Number six. Enjoy your life. This is a great verse. Ecclesiastes 8.15. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Isn't that amazing? That's in the Bible. Some people think that Christianity will ruin your life and that it will make you a miserable person. Here's what it does for me. It makes me love Chipotle. Does anyone else love Chipotle? I get a burrito bowl because I'm over 30 and I don't want to get fat. But here's the thing. What I do is, is with every ingredient, I just think about how God made the avocados that make the guacamole and how he made both white rice and brown rice and so I can pick between the two of them and how he made black and pinto beans, which, by the way, I always order both of them. And the reason I order both of them is because if you order both, have you guys noticed this? They give you one scoop of each. And at the end of that, I sit down, and every single time I eat one of those burrito bowls, I love Jesus, and I know that he loves me. And I say, thank you so much for Mexico and for <laughs> providing people who make this delicious food and had the idea to put all of these ingredients together and I thank him for his glory and I enjoy my life and I have a smile on my face and I'm not mad about anything. It's so great. I commend you to enjoy your life. It's biblical. Number seven, 
Obey the law. Uh-oh. Um, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Okay, here's what I want to talk to you guys about. Underage drinking. Okay? It's stupid and it's illegal. It causes a lot of problems and destruction. I have never met a man over the age of 30 who have, I've had this conversation with. Hey, did you drink in college? No, I decided not to because I was a follower of Jesus and I didn't want to drink underage. Do you regret that decision? Yes, I wish I would have gotten hammered every Friday and Saturday night drinking Natty Light and hanging out with people that don't have jobs now because they ruined their life when they're in college. I have never had that conversation with anyone. But I have had many conversations with people who have said, I wasted my life when I was in college. You can't possibly say that at the end of your life, when you're laying on your deathbed with your family around you, that you're going to be proud of underage drinking. There's absolutely no idea, no, no, no way that that's going to be in your mind. Okay, So don't break the law. It's stupid. It will ruin your life. Number eight, tell your God story. 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Do you guys know that if you are a follower of Jesus, that you have a one-of-a-kind story? And if you will do these other things, honor your parents and work hard and be normal, people are going to ask you, why do you act the way that you act? Where does this hope and where does this joy come from in your life? And when people ask you, don't be ashamed to tell them exactly where your hope comes from. How Jesus has changed your life. In simple terms, be honest about your sin and tell them how amazing your Savior is. Guys, I had the privilege of reading a few membership applications this week for people who have applied to be members of Salt City Church. And it was amazing for me to read through their God stories. And so many of them, their lives were changed when they were in college. And I was thinking about you guys as I read through those stories. And, and I was just spending time this week just writing emails to these different people and just thanking God that he had saved them specifically. There were people with kind of crazy God stories, but it dawned on me that some of the most amazing ones were just the simple God stories of people who had faithful parents, led them to Christ at age four, whatever, but all of them are glorious. I would encourage you, if you have a God story, share it with other people. If you don't have a God story yet, talk to me. I'd love to explain to you how you can have one. Number nine, be a learner. Proverbs 9 verse 9. Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. Do you guys know that your professors know more about the subjects that they're teaching than you do? Here's, here's something great. You guys have the opportunity to learn a lot of things that you don't now know. Here's a temptation, I think, if you're a Christian kid and you're in a secular school, you think, because I know Jesus, 
that professor doesn't have anything to teach me. And so what you're looking for is opportunities where you can correct them or you can help them understand something better. What I want to encourage you to do is one of the best ways that you can glorify God is by listening and actually by understanding and seeking to grow in your knowledge. And after you understand what the professor knows as well as they do, and you've set a good example of what it means to be a great student, then you have given yourself an opportunity to share about who Jesus is. But before you do that, please don't talk in class. If you're not going to take the time to be a good student, don't talk in class. Because you will be a poor representative of Christ, and you will be a poor representative of this ministry. Number 10, exercise, eat healthy, get sleep. 1 Timothy 4.8, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So we know godliness is more important than exercising, eat healthy, getting sleep. But I read this really impactful book. It was written by a former doctor who turned pastor. And he wrote this whole book called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures. And his name is Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Anyway, I remember being super impacted by that book when I was in late college because he explains that often the things that we identify in our life as spiritual problems could be solved simply by physical disciplines. Did you know that you're a whole person? So, like, you have a body as well as a soul. And you're not just to worship Jesus in sort of a disembodied sort of way. But you're supposed to worship him in everything that you do. And what that means is that you are called to take care of your physical body. And as you take care of your physical body, it will actually have cross benefits into your spiritual life. I don't know about you, but when I was in college, I would sleep in two four-hour shifts. So I would go to bed at like 2 o'clock in the morning, wake up at 6, go to class, then I'd come home at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon and sleep till 6 p.m. And I thought that I just didn't know how to walk with Jesus very well. What I really needed was a good night's sleep. It wasn't healthy. I had a whole lot of unhealthy habits. So if you have unhealthy habits, maybe the diagnosis for you to live for the glory of God comes down to your physical being. Number 11, get out of the city. Okay, Matthew 6, 26, this is what Jesus says. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I just want to pause on that first part of the verse where he says, look at the birds of the air. In a city, it's hard to see birds. You guys notice that? I think Jesus is actually saying, guys, there's something about getting out into physical creation that will help you to see the glory of God. Jordan did a great job talking about that a couple weeks back. The heavens declare the glory of God. Just last week, I was feeling kind of down. You know what I did? I just got in my car and I just drove to Duluth. It's like two and a half hours away. I just went on the shore. I just sat on the shore of Lake Superior and I just watched the waves come in. Just watch the waves go out. Watch them come watch them go out. And you know what happened? I didn't think to myself, man, I wasted a day. I'm a bad pastor. I didn't work hard. Do you know what I thought? I love Jesus. 
So awesome. My heart, my soul were just refreshed. You got to take time to get out of the city, behold the glory of God, see him, his creation. There's tons of beautiful places around the Twin Cities. Next, number 12, enjoy the Bible. I am totally 100% against reading the Bible dutifully. I'm all about just enjoying it. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 2. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. You guys know that the Bible is like a window in a cabin, and out that window are the Swiss Alps. If you will take the time to not just read this book on the surface, but you will approach this book with eager expectation that the God who placed the stars in the sky wants to speak to you. Do you know that if you'll take time to listen, if you'll ask him to speak to you, that he will speak to you and then it will absolutely transform and change your life? One word from God can turn your entire life around. You guys know what? I have centered my entire life on the word of God. Let me just give you an example of what this looks like. Last night, my son Gabe, he's one and a half. He's laying in his crib. It's night. And I was talking to Gabe. And I'm, I'm wanting Gabe to, to know the Bible. And so I was just walking through one of my favorite scriptures with him. And so I was like, I have been crucified with Christ. This is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And then I was just helping my one and a half year old son memorize scripture. And so I said, I have been crucified with Christ. And he'd go, crucify Christ. And then I, I just walked through the whole thing with him. And it was just such a beautiful thing. And then my son Gabe, every night, he just holds up his hand to me like this because we pray together. And at the end of the prayer, he goes, amen. Love you, daddy. Love you too, Gabe. And, and my expression of love for my son is, I want him to be able to see the glory of God through scripture. I don't want to hide anything good from him. And I don't want to hide anything good from you. And so I would encourage you, you know, start in the Gospel of Mark. That's what we're going through in Salt City Church. If you don't know where to start reading, start in the Gospel of Mark and just read straight through the New Testament. You will see the glory of God in the Bible. Number 13, believe the good news. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Here's my fear. I've talked a lot about us living our lives for the glory of God. Here's my fear, that you would think that you could do that on your own. That you would think that you are capable of living a life for the glory of God on your own. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Which means instead of our lives being turned upward and outward, we've turned in on ourselves. We live for our own glory instead of living for the glory of God and in order to love other people. And here's my fear for a lot of you. You've grown up in church and you've heard a lot of messages about the Bible, but you've actually missed the main point of the Bible. You're like I was in sixth grade band. I don't know if this was true for you guys, but in sixth grade band, for the first two weeks, no one has an instrument. Okay, so you're in band, 
but you don't have an instrument because you're working on picking your instrument. And so we all just sit there and it's super awkward and you kind of look at music and all that. But how do you call yourself a band if you don't have an instrument? And in like fashion, how do you call yourself a Christian if you don't have Christ? Do you guys know that Jesus is at the very center of everything that we believe? A lot of the churches that you grew up in did not preach Jesus as the center. They preached as the center. You should be a good person. You should love those around you. You should care about the poor. All good things, but not the center. The center of the Christian religion is that Jesus Christ has done for you what you could never do for yourself. See, what you need to see tonight is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And here's the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The creator of the stars died on the cross for your sins. That was no mere man who died. And why did he die? Because you, in your life, on a daily basis, have failed to live for the glory of God and have instead lived for your own glory. And so what he says is, my life for yours. I'll trade you places. I'll take the punishment for your God-ignoring life, and you get the love that I deserve for my God-pleasing life. Will you accept my offer? You see, what you first have to know before you even step out to live for the glory of God is that you can't, it's impossible, but there is one who can and who has in your place. And so the basis of God's love for you is not your ability to glorify him or live on mission for him or care about other people or do evangelism or any of those things. It's what Jesus has done for you. Will you receive it? By faith, that's all you have to do. It's a free gift. And then once you receive that free gift, Jesus has a, another gift for you. It's called the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's the last thing I want to leave you with. Be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So you guys see, it's not just that Jesus took your place on the cross and died for you, if you will accept him by faith, he will also send his God-glorifying spirit to live inside of you. This is the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. Jesus isn't dead. He's alive and well. He's doing great. He's sitting on the heavenly throne and what he's willing to do is to pour out the same spirit that gave him the power to live this God-glorifying life on you. He'll raise you from death. So now you see, if you will admit, yeah, I haven't really honored my parents. I haven't really worked that hard. I haven't done what God's calling me to do. I want to. And you'll trust in Jesus that he did it for you on the cross, and then you'll ask him to fill you with his spirit, you will actually have the ability to live a God-glorifying, fully purposeful, happy, enjoyable life. You want that? That's what I want for you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that uh, you love us so much that you not only give us this crazy, amazing purpose that's multidimensional, 
for our lives, that involves every aspect of our being, but that you don't base your love for us on our performance. You actually performed for us in our place. That's so awesome and so amazing. But you don't just leave us there. You give us your spirit. I pray that you just be stern in people's hearts. People are lost in this room, God, that you'd be saving them, that you just open their eyes, allow them to see something they've never seen before, that you're amazing, that you're awesome, that you have this great purpose for their life. And I pray for those sleepy Christians out here who um, just have lost their way a little bit, that you would wake them up even as we sing these next songs. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.